0: Hello everyone, thank you for joining us on the Career Escape podcast today. I'm your host, Colapaw. A big shout out to everyone that is listening to the show across the world, and um, thank you for the great reviews, uh, and please let us keep it coming. If you're joining us for the first time, Career Escape podcast is a show where I meet with some of the most Amazing startup founders in Nigeria, early stage businesses, growth, uh, expansion stage businesses—not just in Nigeria, but across Africa—and uh, we also have conversation with everyone playing in the space to make entrepreneurship thrive, like policymakers, innovation managers, and people working in development agencies. And um, with founders, we explore how to see opportunities. The process it takes for them to launch their startup, the struggles and the failures associated with building businesses in Nigeria and Africa, and also the drama, the unexpected breakthrough, and the sheer excitement of building something people admire and people are willing to pay for. Today, we are having a conversation with Dr. Ebi Ofri, who is a co founder and CEO of JeroCare Solutions, a platform that provides regular physician home visit for the elderly to prevent deterioration of their health condition and to improve quality of life on today's episode we'll discuss why he started care, the impact he has made challenges funding and his plans for the future so thank you dr eby for joining us on the show today
1: yeah thank you for having me
0: yeah you're welcome uh
1: so I, I think
0: the first time we met was like in 2017 uh or 18 if I can if I can remember clearly and uh, it was just very exciting for me to learn what you were doing uh with Gerald Care at that point point. and um I know you've been a doctor for some years before you even started Gerald Care so if you can just walk us through the process I mean, you have a career that is doing well. and Why do you think you want to move outside of that to start a business?
1: Okay. Thank you very much. I think the story is quite out there a bit now. But for the benefit of your viewers and listeners, I will just reiterate a, a why for started. So prior to launching Gerald Care, um, my father had a stroke, about mm. two strokes in the space of one year. And that was not because there's nothing I could have done as a doctor. I was simply in another location at the time. So, um, subsequently my mother called me high blood pressure, high blood sugar, but there is something she said that can be said to be the genesis of general care. She said I had neglected them. And like Mm. many, I thought that was impossible. How could I neglect my parents? But after a closer review of my life and my career, I realized I was more focused on those two and had actually neglected them. We also realized this problem was not peculiar to me, but to millions of Nigerians living and working far away from where their parents were. Is there a way whereby, no matter where you are in the world, you can provide health care for your parents in Nigeria and constantly remind them that you care? And that was the reason why we set up GeroCare. Care. Parents like I, within and outside Nigeria, to be able to provide medical care for their parents in Nigeria using the direct mobile application. And as I mentioned, I've been a doctor for quite a while. Unfortunately, although uh, medical practice wasn't exactly the ideal for me at that time, I had no idea the reason I read medicine basically was to do what I'm doing now. Because everything basically led to this point.
0: Interesting. I mean, I, mean, I, I like the way you've been able to, to break that down for, for our listeners. And um, you mentioned something that at the point you realized this is not just you—you uh, are not the only one that are experiencing this issue in terms of not being where your parents are. You are not able to to provide that support that they needed at that point. How did you validate that part? You know how how did that conversation happen with other people? Did you just be like, "Okay, hey friend, <clears throat> can I"? do you think i can provide this for your mom i just want to if you can just walk us through that process apart from you having that problem and validating it with other people in similar conditions or situations yeah
1: so that's a perfect question and what i tell most people is to actually try it out themselves and see if anybody purchases the solution (laughs) without spending any money on it so me for instance (laughs) i ran the service offline myself a loan caring for about 20 elderly people in which their children paid me to do that. And at about the three-year mark, I realized that the value was so much and the market was so large, I could not do it myself. And I had to engage technology. It was at that point I involved my co-founders, uh, Mr. Dr. Bruce, I mean, Dr. Ajibola Miraibu and uh, Bruce Lucas, who is our tech person. Ajibola Miraibu is currently the COO and had a discussion on how to expand it and leverage technology to provide this service to everybody across Nigeria and not just in Port Harcourt. then where I lived. So I first of all did it offline, validated the idea, showed that people were willing to pay for this service. I even had requests from outside Port Harcourt, and that gave me the courage to move on to the next level of deploying an application and taking it nationwide. That's, that's a very interesting uh, journey. So it's important for
0: people to validate what they are doing by making sure people are willing to pay for it that's very critical right yeah so it's important for people to know okay if i have this idea and i want to make it work are people actually willing to pay uh because some people just invest a lot of money on businesses uh without i mean without and uh... Yeah, without being, market, being yeah. sure there is a market or people willing uh, to to pay for that kind of product. So it's uh, interesting.
1: Interestingly, it's not just validating there are people willing to pay for the product, but enough people to pay such that the business is sustainable and profitable. Mm. Every idea, there will be some people willing to pay for it. But the question is, are they enough to sustain the business? So not just willing to, but at the number of people willing to enough. So for instance, if you are ch- serving in a niche market, it means you have to charge a larger amount of money or higher sum of money to be able to profitably or you know, sustain that uh, that business. So not just people willing to enough people to enable you to provide that service profitably.
0: So you started making money from day one,
1: right? Um, so yeah, not, not that I said day one, day one as an offline service. I was making money then. Okay. But when we morphed into general care as it is today, we well, first of all launched using Google Forms. So okay. our subscribers signed up a Google Forms. Our doctors provided a reports to Google Forms. We sent reports, PDFs of the reports the doctors sent to us. So we're making money at that point, but we had to constantly, you know, reiterate and tweak the model because the price we started with was not enough to get enough people into the door. So we changed the pricing model quite a bit. Although we are making money initially, we changed the pricing to get to a point whereby more people came in, what they call product market fit. So initially people were paying, but we had to continue tweaking it to get to the point where more people were willing to pay. So what about funding? Uh, if, if you can tell us, at the point you realize,
0: okay, there is a market for this. We have people that are willing to pay for this service. There is a need. We are solving a problem. How did you go about the path of raising funding for this, for, for this project?
1: So the orthodox advice is to bootstrap first before you fundraise. However, because the co-founders of GeroCare were at a certain level in their lives. We all had families. We all had mouths to feed. And so hmm. we started fundraising much earlier than most others will have started, because we needed funds to you know pay salaries and run the business. And so we started Jericho from an acceleration program called Ventures Platform. The initial funds provided to start the business was by Ventures Platform as a seed. <laughs> Funding that enabled us to kick off and do what we're able to do. Fortunately for us, this helped us a long way in establishing the company it is today. However, if that wasn't available, most likely we would have remained on our jobs and started part-time and saved money to get to the point where we are. But fortunately, an accelerator was on board initially and gave us the same funding to start. How were you able to
0: get into the accelerator program? I remember at that point you said you, you don't have any, everything you were doing was offline.
1: Course, All right. Yeah. And
0: I, I remember you shared something with me that you, you you did not really have like any product online or like MVP apart from what you're doing offline, but you were still able to get in uh into the acceleration program, even though they have like a kind of selection criteria that was used. Mm-hmm. But because you had experience or something, so if you can just uh share a bit of light about that initial stage of assessing that or getting into the accelerator program.
1: Okay. So usually, um, for an accelerator program, to pick a company, from my experience, there are three key things to take a look at. The first is the product, how innovative is, is it? The second is how much traction do you have? And the third is the strength of the management team. Many times they say in the early stages, they don't fund the business, they fund the founders, the trust is in the founders. Unfortunately for us, the pedigree of the founding team was quite strong. As I mentioned, right now, I've been a doctor for about 20 years. I have a master's in business for which I graduated with a distinction, and I have been doing this for a little while. Our COO is a neuroscientist, healthcare marketing expert, has a PhD. Our CTO has been building software for 20 years. So the pedigree of the founding team was strong enough to assure anybody that what we say we will do, we will do. And we had the domain experience and expertise enough for them to trust in our world. So though we didn't have um, an application at that point in time, though we didn't have the software they understood that these people are not here to play, the people with this kind of background have actually done more research and have the knowledge of how to bring it about. And I feel that was why they chose us to come into the program. We even told one or two other similar ideas, but they felt we were the ones to do it. For those that watch all these picture um, competitions or Shark Tank and the rest, there are many times they hear an idea, see a solution, but they say these are not the people to solve it. They heard our idea and believed we were the ones to solve it. And that was why they took us into the program. Despite the fact that we had nothing online at that moment, they knew the team was able to produce or provide the results we were talking about.
0: Background experience is very critical if you're trying to build something. Uh, domain expertise. Is key uh, because I think that really gave you an advantage. Like you said, there are similar ideas, but there are probably maybe civil engineers or maybe geologists that, that have a similar idea, but necessarily don't have the domain expertise in, in, in yeah. that space or or in the idea. So can you tell us before Jericho, have you what other businesses have you done or experimented with or was this like your major? startup idea. So
1: interestingly, although people find it very difficult to believe, Gerald Care <laughs> was my first foray into the tech ecosystem. Oh, I had run various other businesses but nothing in the tech ecosystem. So I had hard business centers, hard car wash, hard a service, all types of things. But Gerald Care was my first foray into the tech ecosystem. So I had certain knowledge and certain understanding of business done the orthodox way. And that's why I was not too surprised when many times you speak to people and they find it difficult to understand why a startup that has been in existence for, say, one or two years is valued at $5 million dollars they're finding it difficult to understand how that valuation comes about because they're still thinking the orthodox way. They have no idea about high impact and high growth businesses. So I was a novice four years ago. But because of the level at which people grow in the tech ecosystem, they begin to learn a lot because they're fully immersed in it. And you'll find out that over four years, is like spending 10 or 15 years in an orthodox business. Mm. I like to say you can measure startups in startup years. So many of us know that Dog years are equivalent, four dog years are equivalent to one year. So if a dog is one year old in human years, they say it's four years old in dog years. And I think it's similar to startups. So I've been in the tech ecosystem now for just about four years, but I feel like I've been in it for 16 years, based wow. on the fact that the kind of things you've done, the way you've yourself in it, and the level at which technology grows. You find various things happen in a short space of time, and you feel more entrenched in that industry. There are things I know now that I never even had an idea about four years ago. But these are the things that happen when you fully immerse yourself in this system. So yes, I had businesses before, but nothing like what I have now, based on the knowledge I experienced over the years.
0: Over the years, and and I know you have an, an MBA. You mentioned that with a distinction.
1: Yes, so yes, yes. the
0: experience of that NBA, I mean, and you're also a blue ocean strategy. So if you can, how has that impacted you in driving or building Jerocare so far? Can you look back and, and see some some lessons or some experiences or some knowledge that you think you've actually learned during your program or while you you have in your MBA? Yeah, so
1: Care as it is, is a case study. For blue ocean strategy because blue ocean strategy basically is creating uncontested markets and making the competition irrelevant so what happens is there are six basic steps from which you can convert a business from ordinary to innovative and i was able to apply these steps because i had learned it very well during my mba without the Blue Ocean background, I might have come up with a health solution, but it would not be as distinct as it is now. You'll realize that General Care, for instance, is one of the only people doing the things the way they're doing it in this health sector at the moment, and that's simply because of the tools applied and the lessons learned. So going further also, um, you may not have known, but our mission at General Care has modified quite a bit. So we realize that based on the expertise and skills we have, we are now more focused on what we call med. That's leveraging technology to provide access to medical care to underserved segments of people, beginning with the elderly. Currently, we also have a product for rural areas. And you realize that the thread that rings through all our products is that wherever we go, there's actually nobody really doing that at the moment. So Medra Telehealth Box is our other product. If we have time, we'll discuss that a bit more. Go back
0: a bit. Uh, you your in venture platform. You've developed your application. You've launched on Android. Can you tell us what, what the first experience was like getting a subscription on your application? How did that happen? How long did you guys have to wait? Did you do a kind of special marketing? Did you test in-house? If you can just, you can just walk us a bit through your first subscription on your mobile application by the time you, you went live online, how did that happen?
1: Okay, so I mentioned that we started with Google Forms. Okay. So we already had a sort of list available, and then migrated those people through the application. This also gave credence to it, because people coming in were not the first on the platform. There were already people there. But that's because we provided a service with Google Forms, and we had quite a number already. And then once the app was developed, we migrated every single person through the application, educated them on how to use it, and began to grow from there. So when we launched the platform, there were already people on the platform for new users to see when they came on board and that's okay. how we launched it and usually the testimonials of people that are already on was enough to get other people interested in it in terms of funding uh how how did you raise
0: other series or what is what was it, what has been your experience i mean the ecosystem in nigeria yeah. or have you tried to raise fund internationally uh if you can just tell us what you think about our processes and how much you've raised over over the years
1: of, of building this yeah. So I initially mentioned that most businessmen are orthodox businessmen, not really in the startup ecosystem. And so they don't quite understand your valuation. So I remember just after the ventures platform, after our demo day, we approached one of the potential investors and told him how much we were trying to raise. I think then we were trying to raise $150,000 at a valuation of about $800,000. And then, he looked at our company and looked at where we are. I was wondering, you just started three months ago. How can you value yourself at this level? And that's basically the mentality at that point in time. Okay. Unfortunately, the people's mentality in startup funding now is beginning to change. There are quite a few people there that are educating others. And so it's no longer as difficult as it used to be, especially with exits taking place right now. I remember after the paystack exit, people were very excited and more people flooded into the market. But initially, it wasn't that way. So we had various people that came on board and in the last minute, they would pull out. But what I like to tell people is that in the early stages, less money is more productive and better for you. Because the less money you have, the more innovative you have. I believe if we got money in the beginning, we may not have been alive today because we would have squandered all that money. Well, fortunately, we were able to have little investments at little at certain points in time. So, our early investments were about 15,000, 15,000 family and friends before others came on board. So, that's the trajectory at which it went. Fortunately, right now we've raised about 279,000, although it didn't come at once, it came in separate you know, installments. And right now, we are raising 500,000, and that is because. The understanding of the market is now there, and there are more international investors looking into Nigeria. Many times, when these investors lead your funding round, you're able to have better terms because they are less, um, I'm thinking of the right word to use, uh, less averse to the risk of African markets that African investors are. So the key for us is trying to find a lead investor that is non-African, that will enable everybody come in at that person's terms and that's what we've seen so far most of the key investments in the continent are from non-africans we need to get other africans to understand and see the potential and come in but right now all our current investors were nigerian what we envisage going forward there'll be a bit of external or international investors in the foreign
0: yeah thank you thank you for sharing that and uh, uh if we can talk about your experience with uh, international investors as well. Uh, I know in um, 2018 or 2019, I'm not sure, we we're in Finland together and um, you had some conversation with some investors. Uh, what can you say? How, what do you think is the impression of maybe investors, maybe in that area, in the Nordics area, in Europe? How do you think they perceive startup in Nigeria and what do you think we can do as startups or, or ecosystems driver to position ourselves better.
1: Well, as you will know, as regards to the Nordics, they are not too open to African investment or African founders in Africa, and that's what I learned. So, no matter how brilliant you are, they tell you up front that as long as you are still residing in Africa, they can't invest in you. So they invest a lot, but you have to be within their space or you know closer by to them have funding but otherwise i think the environment is getting better now because i think in the first half of this year that more investment has come into africa especially nigeria and south africa than came in in the entire 2020 or something something strange like that so every year is getting better and better especially as they're now seeing exits and valuations of companies in their you know unicorn level And that's the key for investors. The opportunity has shown itself. So it's not just that they're telling people now by mouth that there's an opportunity there, the valuation of these various businesses has let them know they need to come into the market especially because of the fear of missing out many investors have now that they've seen the opportunities they're now afraid of missing out and coming (laughs) in with the bandwagon so I envisage going forward more african i mean more international investors will look to africa but the key is to grow your business have your traction increase your valuation and they won't have any choice but to look at you
0: to look at you interesting uh thank you for sharing that so let's talk uh a bit about the box uh, that you mentioned earlier, uh, that is, that works in the rural area. If you can just tell us about that. And after that, we'll talk about the Gerald care foundation, which I know you recently launched, but first off, let's talk about the, the box.
1: Well, Conor, we're doing quite a few things. If we go through everything we do, I'm not sure <laughs> what will happen, Cause I'm product <laughs> launching, but I'll pull that on nice for now. Okay. So the MedRap telehealth box. So, um, when we started Gerald Care, we got to the realization that there are still quite a few people that need our services but can't get it. And I remember when the vice president of Yemir Shibanjo visited our offices in Abuja, then he gave us a charge to provide care for rural areas. And then we started thinking with various models, outreach, and the rest. But early last year, a company called Vectis was given the mandate to provide clean energy or mini grids to rural areas and they approached us to add our service to them to provide medical care for these people and so my co-founder and i you know sat and thought about it and they came up with the medra telehealth box but this telehealth box serves as a clinic for whichever location it's found so it's solar powered and works with or without internet and connects to a doctor remotely so for these communities they have never seen a doctor before because for instance where the box is right now it's about three hours boat ride from Sapele. And those people have never had a doctor. For co- communities wow. like that, that's a, that's a, the, those are the communities we focus on. Communities that have no access to doctors. And they provide the box for them. So the box serves as the hospital for that community in the area of the best network. So patients go to the box to receive care as their hospital. So like every other hospital, they get there, they have an administrator that checks the vital signs and initiates communication with the doctor. If the patient can speak English, he communicates with the doctor directly. If not, the admin serves as a translator. But the model is interesting in the sense that we don't expect the people in that community to pay to access the care. Mm, we there have organizations that. that are adopting communities. So an organization picks a community, adopts the community by paying for a box paying to pay for subscription for the year so once they deploy that box there everybody in that community assesses care for free but it has to be such that the person paying for the service gets enough value to enable him continue paying for the service and so we have various things that we provide to these people that you know sponsor the boxes to enable them have the willingness to go ahead and keep on paying for it So that's the model we're looking at right now. Interestingly, I'm actually in Abuja right now speaking to some um, agri-tech companies. And we'll soon be announcing a, a big deal to provide healthcare for farming communities across the country, especially the north. And that's also an area we're looking at. So apart from the way we're doing it now, we're also launching a healthcare scheme for remote rural areas. To enable them to have care people that never had care before will now have care because of what we're doing
0: Earlier, yeah, this is uh this is inclusion health digital inclusion for people in the rural so area. we call it medical I mean, inclusion medical inclusion yes uh because it's important i mean whatever solution we are building we have to also build for 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 the underserved and i think you're doing something amazing yeah. uh there and uh, so how does it work uh, let's say uh, I'm an organization right now that is interested in adopting uh, a village. So how does it work? Can you talk about the pricing? Uh, because I understand you said an organization has to adopt and
1: pay subscription for yeah. a year. So how does it work?
0: What is the pricing like? How much does well, it
1: cost? It will shock you that it's extremely affordable. Mm-hmm. So I I talk about or I created a model called the PAP model for sustainable healthcare. And the key components are the use of the payer system. The payer system in which the person paying and the person using has to be different because to affect a mass of people, you have to affect the people that cannot pay the money, but somebody has to pay for it for them. And so we use the payer system for most of our services. So it has to be affordable. Affordable means for the person that is paying, it needs to be about 10% of their income, of their monthly income. And our box is far less than that. It has to be accessible. To get to them and it has to focus on preventive care and so for us the people paying for this service this box is extremely cheap to them to deploy a box for a community for a year it's about ten thousand dollars so to put things in perspective you are building a hospital <laughs> and providing free care for care to that community for ten thousand dollars that's how impactful it is and so once you understand that you understand the number is very um I mean very re- what's the word much reduced compared to the value they will actually receive so to adopt a community right now you pay ten thousand dollars they get a box to that community and people in that community access the care for free subsequent years you don't pay for the box anymore so you just pay five thousand dollars however there are other bespoke plans. like for instance for the Agri scheme we actually have a premium per head of uh, patients so there, they don't pay for boxes, but they pay for a certain number of people that have cards that can assess the box as, you no know, beneficiaries of the program. However, for the adopted community, it's everybody in the community that assesses the care.
0: I mean, uh, members of the community, do they have to pay for drugs? Or is, is this inclusive? Mm-hmm if you can just uh, if we can just clarify that part yeah. so I'm thinking so, right now okay I know they have a sex with this boss they can have a conversation with the doctor in the city but once it comes to prescription, how does that work for the for the members of the community or is that inclusive as part of the price or you know, that's just a different service.
1: So for the health scheme it is inclusive in okay. the sense that it's more of a consultation and medication for those that are paid for the scheme. So usually the organizations, however they work around it, pay per head, like paying for health insurance for those people in that location. However, the ones where we pay $10,000 for the box is not inclusive of medication. But what we have done is partner with local chemists that serve as our pharmacy. And so they're in connection with us. So once you see a doctor, the prescription goes to the chemist. You go there and pick up your medication and pay for it. The advantage is that prior to this point in time, the people providing you drugs were all non-medical people. You couldn't even vouch for what they're giving you. So what mm. we do is partner with that chemist, providing medication, and he also gives them the right drugs because it's only drugs that we prescribe that are dispensed. Interestingly, in the location where it is, the chemist person is, you know, now an advocate because we realize that if we didn't carry him along, he will be an opponent of what we're doing. He will feel threatened. And so right now, he does not even see patients by himself and give them medication. Every single patient, he refers them to the box first to ensure they're getting the right prescription and send them to him. Over time, he knew he was not a doctor, but there was nobody else there. So it was, you know, as they call these communities, pharmacists <laughs> are doctors, nurses are doctors. That he doctor. knew he wasn't, but there was, but there's nothing he could do. But yeah. right now, he has a doctor to refer them to and then sell the medication to them. So it's a win-win relationship between us and those chemists in those locations however as i said the scheme covers medication it also depends on the premium you pay It's like insurance if you pay a certain amount covers only consultation if you pay a certain amount covers consultation plus medication medication so what has been the experience uh, in
0: sapele i think that's a community one of the communities that you No, so it's not in now.
1: sapele but say it's in the community that is a three hour boat ride from sapele
0: oh wow
1: Amazing. So we don't say in urban areas or places where they have access to care. it's not, it's of not much value to them. The mm-hmm. value is to those people that have no other access to care. Those are the people we're focused on. As I said initially, we are doing the Blue Ocean strategy. We focus on where nobody is. We make the competition irrelevant. And so mm-hmm. if there's an area where there's competition already thriving, it's not something Gerald K. will take a look at. Okay so where way. we are now, nobody is there and they're enjoying the services because it's not just a service for that community it's for communities around it fortunately or yeah fortunately now they've made that area a market community and so people that come to the market also have access to the box so it has mm. been quite effective for them and the people around that location so we are looking forward to more people adopting more communities because the key to making a sustainable impact in health it's not focusing on urban areas. It's not focusing on those that have alternatives. It's those that have no other alternative, which are the mass of the number of people in Nigeria that will have an effect on the health indices of the country.
0: That's a wonderful approach for, for the medical in- inclusion. I mean, um, um that's, that's really very, very, very amazing what you're doing there in terms of, you know, bringing in these people, you know, having conversation with doctors. I'm sure maybe some of them have never even... You know, met with a doctor before
1: in their lives. And, you know. Interestingly, the first day we went to lunch, we met a young lady about six years old that had an eye condition that was very treatable. But that girl has been blind for six years. The hmm. mother said it was something much worse. For just one consultation, let them know there is a solution. I think the next week or so, they took a boat out to the nearest city because all they've known is that the girl is blind from birth. But there was something really easy that could have been done for that girl. So it's such information that is needed in these areas. Others area. will have chopped it up to maybe diabolic means or something happened to the girl. No. It was a simple condition, but just because there was nobody to tell how mm. the problem was, she was living in that kind of state. And this just not in that location. Multiple locations across the country need these services that nobody's is catering to at the moment. Many times when we say teleconsultation, nobody's mind goes to remote, local, or remote rural areas. Because their thought is how can they See these people with their internet. Well, fortunately we've we'll divided the way. So, with or without internet, our doctors can speak to these people over there. How we do it is now our secret sauce. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, what about uh in the future? Do you,
0: do, do you see a path where you can work with? You? Because I think part of the health model in Nigeria is to well, have primary health care centers. How do you? Is there a way you think your solution can fit into that in the future at scale, or what? What can you say about the existing primary health care centers? I don't know if they exist in the remote parts you're talking about, but do you think um, there is there is a mix or there is a future of collaboration that can happen in that part, just to scale, you know, across the country, or partner with those existing uh, primary health care solutions? Or so
1: the future? beauty is that. What we provide, so we say we deploy teleclinics by leveraging Medra Solution, which is our service. So each place the box is, is a primary healthcare center.
0: <laughs> so, you don't need, so you
1: don't need a special physical yes. location. So we actually refer to secondary and tertiary centers. We are a primary healthcare center. So we're advancing the plans of the government to deploy primary care centers nationwide because this location they can't get to, we are getting to them and planting primary health care centers there. So we are a primary health care center in that location.
0: Amazing, amazing. I like the way you're able to, to actually break that down. Uh, I remember you also mentioned for an organization that is willing to adopt a community. I mean, it makes sense for them to invest than to start building from scratch i mean what can you build with ten thousand dollars you know i mean amazing uh so if you can just tell us uh briefly or quickly about um the jerry care foundation well what inspired that why did you think this is at a point we also want to establish a foundation uh for on behalf of jerry care so one of
1: our core values or core constituents, as to put it, is um, the elderly still. And there was still nothing really in uh, existence for them. And there are many of them that are indigent. And the tagline for Jericho Foundation is sustaining the elderly. So we're doing everything necessary to enable them to have the kind of care they need. Apart from providing care directly for them by training people in geriatrics, for instance, because that's a specialty that is much needed, but, you know, sparse or there's a depth of geriatricians and everybody cannot be a geriatrician, but we can train people in those locations to treat geriatric conditions Mm -hmm. at their level. So not just providing healthcare, providing, I mean, human resources, capacity building, to enable the elderly to receive the care they, they deserve, especially because these people have dedicated so much to us, spent their youth providing productivity for the country. And somehow when they get to that age, they have nobody to care for them. And so that was the pain we felt and decided to create Jerry Care Foundation because the means to upper class people have their children, other agencies can provide care for them, but there's still a mass of the elderly that are not receiving any care at all. And that's what Care Foundation is for, to enable these people not just receive care, but train people around them to provide them the care they need.
0: Where do you see Care in the next uh, 10 years? What do you just tell us about your vision for Care, not just in Nigeria, but across Africa, across the world?
1: So our mission, as I said, is medical inclusion. To so every single place, we can leverage technology to provide underserved people with healthcare. Is something we're looking at. So we are not limited to a certain segment or certain people. We are focused on areas of people that are marginalized right now, and using that to provide healthcare for them. In the next five to ten years, we expect to have an impact. In the continent as a whole, move the health indices by focusing on those groups. For instance, the SDG goals say health and well-being for all ages and all people, but they get to just a tip of the iceberg. Leveraging our platforms in the various locations, I'm sure we can move that number a bit further further. So, our vision is to actually help to achieve those goals by focusing on the people they're not getting to at the moment. So, I mentioned the uh, third product, which is Ghana, is that basically for doctors to enable them to set up home practices and stay in the country to keep on providing care. Because many of them are leaving because of funds, they don't have the required resources. But with this kind of things, so let me just give you a small background of Ghana. So, we realized that for doctors to make the kind of money they need, they need to be self employed. However, to build your own structure is quite capital intensive and so we are leveraging technology to allow any doctor of any specialty, any cater, any location to set up a home practice in less than 5 minutes using our platform so that every single person can decide he wants to own a practice and charge how much he wants to earn and not base his livelihood on what somebody else is willing to pay him. So that's also to keep the doctors in the country and have more people have access to care in the comfort of their home. that's exactly what we're doing fortunately we've been able to really sort out the back end and so we can fulfill the other end of things for the doctors so all they do is see the patients and we provide the drugs to them provide the tests do the appointments whatever the structure of the hospital will do for a doctor is what we are doing for them so all they can do is just relax see the patients, and we take over from there So that will also help them earn more money and hopefully stay longer in the country. So that's Ghana for doctors in a a nutshell. Ghana means earn, so a platform for doctors to earn more. So all these things are basically to strengthen the health system in the country. So whatever we can do to support that is what we intend to do going forward. We intend to be the go-to name for medical inclusion in Africa.
0: Thank you very much uh, to happy for being on the show and uh, for all the great work you're doing. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <music> That's Dr. Abby Offrey of Jerry Care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and kindly recommend the show to your friends that you think would enjoy it and please subscribe and you can connect with us by writing to us at gmail.com. see you next time